on TV, online, and on your smartphone. This is Ticker News. This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and this is Talk Your Book and today we're very lucky to be joined by Emmanuel Datt from Datt Capital who's very much a crowd favourite amongst Talkie Book viewers. Emmanuel, thanks very much for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us again, Chris. And, uh, and what stock did you want to talk about today? So today I wanted to talk about WA1 Resources um, and they are a Neobium exploration company that are listed on the ASX. And talk me through their, their market cap and maybe the, the helicopter view about what they are and, and where their assets are held. Yeah, sure. So WA1, um, they're a fairly fresh listing. I think they just IPO'd um, early last year. And um, so they basically uh, a Neobium, or they've just made a Neobium discovery um, in Western Australia in a remote region called uh, the West Arunta. Um, they've um, really managed to secure, uh, you know, discover just uh, ne Neobium, for those that don't know, is a very rare but, and very critical mineral. And um, about 90% of global supply actually comes from one mine in Brazil. Um, Maybe talk us through some of the use cases for it, because when you look at yeah. the, the future-facing products that people are broadly excited about as investors, yeah. it sort of hits a, lot, hits a lot of those genres. Oh, absolutely. So the primary use of niobium is in um, high-strength, low-alloy steel. What that means is that um, it's steel where a small um, additive is, is used. So in um, niobium's case, you only need about 300 grams of niobium added to a tonne of steel and that actually reduces the weight required by about 20 to 30%. So effectively, you can use uh, much uh, thinner steels in construction, let's say. And um, as we know, um, you know, weight equals cost in construction or any other sort of manufacturing process. So you know, it's, it's got um, some very niche applications at the moment that's really a result of um, the supply concentration. That, um, uh, that I sort of mentioned, but um, we expect that as supply um, is diversified, potentially through this um, company that I'm talking about today, uh, we expect um, you know, the penetration rate of use in the steel industry itself to increase over time. So things like space, uh, high temperature products, things like nuclear industry uses yeah. the MRI machines, it's got quite a diverse range yeah. of of products already with the potential to build that out as supply potentially increases? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it can be, I mean, it, it can be applicable to any sort of steel, basically. So even, you know, um, steel that's used in construction, gotcha. um, in buildings, for example, uh, you know, weight equals cost, ultimately. Yeah. You don't, if, you, if you have um, significantly lighter steels, then obviously you don't need as much, um, perhaps for foundational work or, or as much, um, uh, I guess, craneage, I guess, costs yeah. and all that sort of thing, and transportation costs as well. So I think that um, it really does tick a lot of boxes for us. But um, in addition, there's also the big sort of, um, what I like to call the moonshot angle, um, that the um, scientists have actually discovered um, recently that um, the addition of niobium in various um, uh, electric batteries actually reduces um, the charge time of, of batteries to about five to 10 minutes. Yeah, wow. Down from, 
you know, I think it takes about an hour to charge yeah. um, the battery of an EV, for example. And um, I think that is going to be a very, very significant breakthrough if um, we as a society are trying to achieve, you know, a greater penetration of EVs. You know, I surely, I, I don't drive an EV, for example, because uh, I don't want to be sort of planning. <laughs> you know, it's a pain point, isn't it? Yeah, still? it's a real yeah. pain point. You know, I'd rather go um, and fill my car up. It takes a couple of minutes, you know, setting the petrol pump. So I think that when that time is compressed um, in terms of recharging capability, I think that's you know, ultimately something that government will encourage. And um, but of course, you know, the, that this sort of technology is still at the lab level, so it's still. And it take, takes time, doesn't it? Because yeah. those supply chains in those manufacturing. Uh, CapEx has already been spent, so you yeah. don't get a battery chemistry change yeah. immediately, do you? But in no. 10 years' time is a short period of time, really, in the, yeah. or the big scheme less, of things. You know, I think that um, we'll probably see, you know, probably major breakthroughs in that particular um, technology as they're sort of in the process of scaling it up. So I'd probably say one to two years will yeah. really get a good indication about whether it's feasible and whether it scales and translates to a commercial scale. Um, but it should be very exciting either way, um, even without that angle. I think there's um, plenty of scope for um, the use of niobium in, in the steel industry to you know, go up by multiples, assuming there's um, you know, more diversified sources of supply. And who are the people behind WA1 Resources? Yeah, sure. So um, WA1 Resources, um, the CEO is um, a guy called Paul Savage, and um, his other um, sort of executive director is a guy is a um, the geologist um, Tom Lyons. So um, both these guys have a long history working in uh, the very remote west of Runter region, um, and I emphasise very remote because it really is sort of the middle of nowhere and um, very little infrastructure, very difficult um, terrain and conditions. Um, so basically um, the team have sort of been in the area working for what I'd call sister companies, if, if you would. Um, and I think that having a really good relationship, for example, with um, the local suppliers, but also local traditional owners is, is really critical to work in these mm. remote regions you don't want to have obstacles in the middle of nowhere because they're hard to solve ultimately and, and expensive to solve so um yeah so i think the team are, are very well qualified uh to run this company and uh, bring it to fruition whatever that may be and you mentioned the supply concentration of niobium currently with yeah. more than 90 percent produced out of brazil yeah um talk us through that and, and how you view that if you think that's an opportunity and that if there was more supply, it sounds like you think more products could be developed and the demand's yep. there, or if you get nervous that increased supply in a, mm. a small market could crunch the price and, and make a wildly profitable mine look less profitable all of a sudden. Yeah, sure. So I guess um, I'll probably talk about um, the main niobium product, which is um, a product called ferroniobium. Um, typically comes in uh, a range of niobium percentages, um, probably about 64 to 65% spec is um, typical. And um, niobium is only produced from three mines globally. So it's pretty crazy statistic. Mm. Uh, that's dominated by the uh, Araxa mine. Um, sorry, I'm not a native Portuguese <laughs> speaker, so you have to. I suspect none of the viewers are either, so you'll be very safe. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like absolutely, you know, world class deposit. Yeah. You know, 400 odd million tons at a grade of 2.5% niobium. Um, the other two mines are very um, ancillary, I guess. Um, they're sort of commercializing deposits of about 
you know, half a percent or thereabouts, no erbium. So as I mentioned, Araxa makes up about, you know, very close to 90% of global supply. And then there's a few other mines being explored slash developed around the place currently as well, besides WA1. Um, other deposits do exist, but um, none are being commercialised um, to my knowledge yeah. at the moment. And um, so, so, sorry, just going back to the uh, ferro-niobium product, um, it's a very expensive product yeah. ultimately, just given um, the lack of supply out there. So just to give you an idea, it's about 45,000 US for, you know, a, a, a ton of this yeah. ferro-niobium product, so very expensive. So. Yeah. But you only need a little bit of it in the steel to, exactly. to have a transfor transformational impact. Yeah, exactly. So um, it sounds expensive, but when you actually consider how much you know is needed per tonne of steel, yeah. uh, translating it back to a dollar value, it's um, a very small amount, basically. And talk to us about some of the drill results they've seen and, and what a high-grade Nobin drill yeah. hit looks like and, and what WA1 have, have achieved so far. Yeah, absolutely. So they have um, achieved some very broad... Uh, they've achieved... Um, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll rewind it back a little bit to explain about their deposit. So um, niobium is found in uh, carbonatites, which is, which is a particular um, geological feature. Um, uh, in terms of um, the deposit itself, so basically there's um, a very thin, flat, high-grade body that lies on top of a um, larger but lower-grade deposit. We'll be, right, we'll be right back with more Talkie Book after this short break. On TV, online and on your smartphone. This is Chicken News. This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Yeah, yeah. Fundies called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. This is Talkie Book, and we're lucky to be joined with Emmanuel Dat. Emmanuel, we'll just pick up where we left off from, just around the geology of the, the WA1 deposit. Yeah, sure. So, um, as I was saying, um, there's a very shallow, um, high-grade uh, uh, section of the deposit. And ultimately, that is what we are looking to see, because ultimately, you know, you're working in a remote region, you need the deposit to be, or have a um, sufficiently high grade, um, which ensures that, you know, the front-end capital can be repaid back quickly mm. and make it stand up as an economic uh, proposition itself. So we believe um, WA1 do have that, given the uh, carbonatite that they've been exploring has um, quite a significant, or it's been explored over quite a significant area. So I believe um, the drill program currently covers about 3K by about 1.5K. So, um, you know, assuming that all comes in, I think that this will stand up as a very strong proposition to be commercialized in time. So um, still open at depth so far. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But look, I think that um, going back to the point that, you know, the shallow high grade um, portion of the deposit is what they'd be looking to monetize. Yeah. Um, as we've seen with um, Linus and Mount Weld, for example, they've probably got a mine life of hundreds of years there. And um, I have no doubts that this may be you know, a similar case, but um, ultimately you're trying to 
you know, scoop the cream off the top, if you would, yeah. first. Um, and that's going to give you the best return, ultimately. Just going to reduce how much you've got to dilute shareholders if you Correct. can get that early payback. Yes, And absolutely. it increases your likelihood to have had some debt facility around the project yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the Australian government is great in that way. You know, there's lots of um, various loan schemes like NAFE, which covers um, uh, Northern Australian infrastructure, which, um, yeah, the project falls within the region where this may be, be applicable. Um, of course, you know, we're, that's uh, you know, somewhat down the line, given yeah. that we're still sort of in the process of defining uh, the mineral resource itself and what it may hold. Um, and then you obviously have to go through um, various studies before you um, can really apply for that project finance. And it sounds like plenty of drill results to come. When are you expecting the mineral resource estimate to, to be out? Uh, I believe the company are targeting um, uh, Q4 of this year. So, you know, sometime between uh, October to December. Um, they're just going like a bat out of hell, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. So I think it ultimately comes down to how quickly the assays come back out of the lab. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, that's going to obviously be the first or oh, a big um, uh, step to crystallize uh, some firm value and really put it on the radar of um, larger companies. Because I think ultimately this resource is so good and so unique that um, it's it's quite unique to, it would be quite unique if the company was to take this through to commercialization by itself, you know. I think the company, they're capitalized at about uh, 300 odd million um, as of today, probably maybe slightly over 320, 330, something like that. Moves around pretty quickly. Um, but when you consider the in situ value of what, or, or what we expect the in situ value yeah. of the resource itself, it's like, you know, in, quite incredible. And of course, considering the future-facing elements and the scarcity value as well. Um, it's just a really highly strategic resource um, in um, yeah, a tier one jurisdiction. Yeah. The world's best mining jurisdiction, yeah. in fact. Yeah. And $10 million raised by the company in May, I believe, yeah. from, from Regal. Yeah. Uh, how long are you expecting that money, along with their existing cash, before that to, to last? Yeah, sure. So I believe they've got about 20 mil in the bank um, as of the last um, quarterly. And, um, you know, they're obviously spending money on the drill rigs. And, um, yeah, I, I believe that should get us through to probably about uh, mid next year. There's obviously a lot of other workflows like metallurgy, which is basically seeing if you can extract the uh, you know, metal content from, from the rock itself. And uh, we've seen, you know, early encouraging signs that it is possible. But, um, of course, it warrants further study and, you know, um, you know a process, uh, uh, further studies towards commercialization, I like to think of it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, of course, being an explorer, it will have to raise money at some stage. But um, what that looks like, um, I think there's they've got sufficient runway, you know, to really... Um, add more value, you know. It's pretty incredible to think that um, I believe they raised $5 million in IPO and they were capped at about, you know, 15 or 20 mil. And um, they've really um, created a huge amount of value in a very short amount of time when you consider they capped at just over 300 mil and yeah. have, you know, 20 odd mil in the bank. And yeah, it's quite incredible. It's a, uh, it's a brilliant story. Manuel Dat, as I mentioned, crowd favourite of all the people I've on, you and, and probably Tom Lambert, the most requested I get to come back on. So there'll be plenty of people wrapped that you, you made the time for us today and really appreciate you sitting down with us and walking us through the story. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having us, Chris.